You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good morning, church family. And uh, a special good morning to those who are joining us online. Uh, great to have you with us. We prayed for you just before this morning's services that it would be more than just a virtual experience, that joining us online would mean that you would have an opportunity to connect to God yourself. So great to have you with us. Um, I have a trophy here with me that I've kept hidden for 50 years. You'll understand why in a few moments. This trophy, um, well, we had, as a family, just moved from St. John's, Newfoundland the year before to Halifax, Nova Scotia. So this was at the end of my grade six school year. And um, I, uh, I was already into summer vacation mode. As a kid, there were these few days off between the last day of school and assembly day, and I brought the note about assembly day home to my mom. And uh, but I was already in summer vacation mode, and so uh, that morning I did what I did the couple of mornings previous. I got up, put on my Newfoundland tartan uh, sh- shirt, and I put on my uh, rubber boots. You say, why would you put on boots? Because I was going to have to cross the stream, the brook in our backyard, to get over to my building project. I was building a treehouse that summer. And so I was up in the tree, and I heard my mom's voice call out, Keith, aren't you supposed to be at school today for assembly day? And I went into panic mode. I just tore the bark off myself as I tore the bark off that tree coming down. I remember I I tore my Newfoundland tartan shirt. That's why I remember what shirt I was wearing. I tore it like that. It was like this. And I got in, I was in my rubber boots and I ran as far as rubber boots will take you to Fairview Public School in Halifax, ran up the stairs. The classroom was empty, but I heard noises coming from the gym opened the doors in the gym and there was a sound of blah, 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 blah in the PA system and applause of people. And I looked in and my heart stopped. When my heart started again, it started to pound furiously because parents and my own schoolmates were there. I think it was them. I'd never seen them look like that. They were all dressed up. I couldn't believe it. And right as I was walking, standing in the door, paralyzed, I heard a voice on the PA system that said, something about Keith Smith. And my teacher was on the far side of the gym, and he was, he was motioning frantically like this, and then he looked at me and he started to shake his head. And I walked over to him, him clomping in my boots, and he just took me right up to the stairs that led up to the platform, and, and he just said, go. And I, by now I was shaking in my boots, and I, I walked up to the platform. I walked over to this dignified school official who was holding out their hand to hand me a book. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was, and when I held up my hand, you could hear the murmur in the crowd just escalating as they saw this freakazoid just moving across the platform. And then suddenly when I held up my hand to shake his hand, this part of my shirt went down. It looked like I had two arms. The kids thought this was great. 
I somehow got down from the platform. My teacher found a seat, and I was not going to recover soon from this most traumatic experience in my 12 years of life when suddenly what I dreaded happened again. For, from on behalf of the Royal Canadian Legion, for the top student in history for the province of Nova Scotia, Keith Smith. The place roared. Now, my ears were, hadn't stopped roaring from before, but the place just roared. Why? They weren't happy to see me receive an award. They were just happy to see me get up there and put on some entertainment, clomping over with my boots and ripped shirt again, and then I received this trophy. And I was embarrassed. I went home. You know, I, I learned that day it's not okay to be different. <laughs> I, I got home and... Uh, on my way home, actually, I had to go into damage control because what am I going to say to mom? And so my plan was this. I'll show my parents the book, but I'll hide the trophy in the bushes. And I never showed my parents the, uh, the trophy. My mom is 87 now. I was thinking about it last night. I thought I, I probably should tell her about this sooner than later. <laughs> not, not a lot of time. And then I remembered last night, well, she watches the podcast. I think I'll call her later today. <laughs> but now we're online. In case you're watching, Mom, I done good. <laughs> why was I so embarrassed? I, why, didn't I, why didn't I tell everybody? I mean, this is a trophy of academic achievement in grade six should be celebrating it. Instead, I hid it. Why? Because I was embarrassed. I was really ashamed. Have you ever been embarrassed about being a Christian? I have. I, how many have had your, your, your share of cringy moments? <laughs> Where, you know, there's a discussion at school, university, or around the water cooler, or cafeteria, friends. It just comes up and it comes, you know, and, and then the topic of faith comes up, the topic of Christian faith maybe, and then someone quickly brings up, yeah, but what about all those uh, television evangelists that are always asking for money, you know, promising prosperity if you'll send money to them. What, what about them? And what, what, about, um, what about another well-known church leader who has had a financial or moral failure, you know? They hear about that. Or look at what the church did to indigenous people with residential schools. And it's embarrassing. So you keep quiet. You sort of hide the trophy of grace. Because you don't want to be associated with that. Or it's someone. How many have someone like this? Don't put up your hand or online. Stop smiling. If you have someone that's very vocal about being a Christian, but they are the most pushy, preachy, angry, judgmental, unchristlike killjoy in the place. Anybody got someone like that? I mean, everybody knows what they're against. And so it's embarrassing to say, "Yeah, and I'm a Christian too." You don't want to be associated with. You know, how many know? Uh, it's true for you too. I'm not okay with being different if being different means being very unlike Jesus Christ. Uh, recently, I read an article about scientists who believe in Jesus Christ, died, rose again. They're, they're, their faith is in Jesus, but they keep quiet about their faith, lest they be painted with the same brush as a brain-free brand of Christianity that still believes that the world is flat. 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but I've had my share of cringy moments. Right now, I have people in my life that I have spent years building a bridge between them and Jesus. And they're asking me why evangelicals are so strongly supporting political leaders who are so unchristlike in their morals, the way they talk and bully people. The truth is, I'm not okay with that kind of different. So if you've ever been embarrassed about being a Christian, if you've ever hidden your identity as a trophy of grace, Pastor Jonathan and I have a series for you, and it starts today. And by the end of this series, we don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but by the end of this series, you will be equipped to do your life better in three different areas. Perspective, plans, and priorities. Let's look at our perspective. We want to help you with your perspective to put the craziness of this world in perspective. How do you react now to the news? The false and the factual. How do you respond to the news now? How do you respond to Trump's tweets, Putin's poison, Trudeau's NAFTA, and Ford notwithstanding? How do you respond? How do you process it? How, how do you respond? How do you react in our world to acts of terrorism, China's ambitions, the refugee crisis in Europe, and the day after, the indigenous injustices, the political swing in the world to the right wing. How do you respond to Me Too and guns on the streets of Toronto? I, I hear some well-meaning people, and they'll say things like this. If only, Pastor Keith, we could turn the clock back and get Canada being a Christian nation. That's the answer. I hear people say, if only we had a Christian prime minister and president. That would fix our nations. If only we get prayer back in school. That would get our youth back on track. Well... Pastor Jonathan and I can't promise all that. <laughs> but we can promise that we're going to help you put the craziness of this world in perspective in this OK series. Secondly, here, here's something else we're going to help you with. Plan the future with an unstoppable confidence. This series will show you and I that right from the first moment, the first human took their first breath right through until humans who follow the Lord are reunited in a new heaven and a new earth, that whatever we face in the meantime, God has always had a people, and he will always get people who turn to him into that place that he has prepared for them. How many understand nothing will stop God from doing that? And when you have that kind of, of, of confidence, then it helps you, number three, to place your time and energies into what Jesus prioritizes. It's not just living for Jesus, it means you get to live like Jesus. And that, that's the kind of difference that it's okay to be, to, to like Jesus. You, you know, let, let's, so let's go back there. Who knows after how many billions and billions or who knows trillions? It, they're human years anyway. The sun and the moon, days and nights weren't even created by God yet. Who knows how many billions of years the earth was dark, formless, and empty, the first book of the Bible says. And then God created light. Water, vegetation, sun, fish, wildlife. And then he did something completely different. He took the same DNA matter that plants and animals are made out of, and he created male and female humans, here, to use the words that Genesis uses, in his image, in his likeness. He breathed into these first humans the breath 
of life. Now, what does that mean? It means that you are not just a package of body, mind, and emotions like your cat or dog or the horses I used to race, much as I love them. I'm different from them. God installed in humans, it's what makes us human. It's not an add-on feature. It's not optional equipment. It's who we are. It's what makes us human. God made us in his image, in his likeness. He made us spiritual beings. We're more than body, mind, emotions. We're spiritual beings. Now, that doesn't stop us because God gave us a free will. It doesn't stop humans, and it didn't stop humans from uh, trying to do life without God, just on their own way. Um, And that's when we fell. And how many know we've been falling ever since? (laughs) It's called the fall of man. We fell from, God had this plan, we chose to go our own way. We fell and we broke something. I had had an electric razor in my first year of Bible college. Yes, I was shaving then. Anyway, I I had this shaver and, and, and went to use it one morning. It fell on the floor and it broke. It was in a couple of pieces. And, uh, you know, the question was, is it going to work after that? I picked it up, put the pieces together, and it made the strangest noise. But I found that if I really worked at it a little different, it didn't work quite the same as it did before. It didn't work the way it was designed to work. But I could get it to shave the few hairs that I had anyway. You know what I mean? I, I got it to, 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 to work a little bit. That's an illustration of what happened when you and I as humans failed. How many understand we never were quite the same after that? (laughs) We we broke into pieces. And even when we try to put those pieces together, we never quite worked the way we were originally designed to work. We we have fallen. And uh, you see that in the next generation. You see Abel. Remember Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel? How come every time I say Cain and Abel, it reminds me of that silly little riddle. Have you ever heard it? How long did Cain hate his brother? As long as he was able. Yeah, that's how bad it is. Anyway, he, he hated his brother. But he, watch Cain. His, his, um, the issue God had with him and pled with him to change. Cain insisted on making up his own way to God. Instead of letting God be God. And God say, this is who I am. This is the way that you can come His brother wanted to do that. And so he, he kills off his brother and uh, a murder enters. The, you know. But watch what happens in the next generation. You see this back and forth throughout the whole history of the human race as it's recorded in the Old Testament. You see, you see um, let's look at this next verse here. You see, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to say it aloud together with me, call on the name of the Lord. So that tells us that however murderous and violent a culture and society is, there are still people there that have a broken image of God. How many know a broken image of God still reaches out to the living God? Even if it's broken, it still reaches out. And, and, and that's the history of the human race as we see it in the past. There are three ways that we can respond to having the image of God. We can suppress it. I'm just the most evolved animal on the planet. And just suppress the spiritual part of it. Or we can substitute for it. We can have religion instead of a relationship with God. 
You know, it's reaching out to him, but it's on our terms. This, this is a man-made controlled religion. I can have religion instead of having a personal relationship with God. Or third, we can express it and we can call upon the name of the Lord. And you see that happening all throughout human history as it's recorded in the Old Testament of the Bible. You see people like Noah and Abraham and other Bible heroes, they they reach out to God. Remember how God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I invite you to be part of my ultimate rescue operation for the human race. I invite you to have children and raise up a nation through them through whom all nations of the world will be blessed. This is a messianic. This is saying through you is going to come the savior of the world, the Messiah of humankind. All nations of the world will be blessed. And and Abraham says, sign me up. And it's interesting how he responds. Oh God, I'm part of your plan. And he goes and scripture says he went on toward the hills east of Bethel. There he built an altar to the Lord. And he, say it with me, called on the name of the Lord. And that's that's human history. Some people suppress the image of God. Some people substitute religion for it or false gods. And others, they call on the name of the Lord. Remember David? It says, in the day of distress, I will call on the name of the Lord. My soul longs for the living God, he says. And then you have when prayer became illegal for Esther and uh, Daniel in exile in Babylon. What does it say about Daniel? He just prayed the way he prayed before. It just may be illegal, but I'm just going to call on God. I I love it. I remember when uh, prayer became illegal in schools in Canada. Not illegal. It just wasn't practiced in schools in Canada. I love the response of one girl. She said, Pastor, don't worry about there not being prayer in school. She says, as long as there are tests and exams for students, there will always be prayer in schools. (laughs) There's something so natural about us to reach out for God's help and just ask him for his intervention. And uh, there were false prophets and there were true prophets. All of these people kept pointing to a day where everyone would have a Savior, the Messiah, and they'd call on the name of the Lord. Listen to Joel. He said, a day is coming, a messianic day, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, leaves heaven, comes to earth to be our Messiah, and dies so that the broken people of our image could be restored, could be healed. He comes to heal the broken. And he put those pieces back together. He cleanses them so they can handle eternity. And then Jesus rises from the dead. Now that life that begins when we ask Jesus in to restore the image of God can be lived forever and forever with Jesus in heaven. And so this is the best news ever for the human race. And Jesus tells his first followers, get out there, do what I said when I told about the plan to Abraham, go to all nations of the world. Let them be blessed with the good news. Let them know that I've come so that the image of God, their spirit can be restored to their creator. And did they ever go? Matter of fact, I was reading in Acts chapter 17 how even without social media, by the time the Christians got out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, they went up into Europe, up into Greece. Here's what they said when they got there. They'd heard about them before they got there, these Christians. They said, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. 
Now, how many know the world was already upside down before they got there, so when they turned the world upside down, they were really turning it right side up. So people could turn their broken images to Jesus and to God and be restored. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because I, I read a bit, not their entire books because they're quite beefy books, but two brilliant non-Christian university profs have tried to explain what happened next in this after Jesus' followers went out into the world. They try to explain it because they're trying to find historically, uh, historically substantiated and sociologically explainable reasons why it, it happened the way it did. Historian Dr. Bart Ertman in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, shows how the then prevailing pagan religions, remember the Roman pagan gods, Greek gods, they basically evaporated, he says. Sociologist Dr. Rodney Stark in his book, The Rise of Christianity, says that it was because the first Christians did not fear death. Why didn't they? We'll get to that. And he says, and they lived by what he calls their theology of love. He goes on to explain, instead of looking down on people that were worse off than you and saying, I have the favor of the gods because I'm rich, because I'm healthy. He said, these Christians cared for the poor, cared for the oppressed, and the outcasts of society, and even loved their enemies. Now this was countercultural to any religious system of the day. They marvel at the historical miracle, to put it in their words, that a tiny obscure movement on the edge of the Roman Empire, whose leader is dead, don't forget they don't believe he rose from the dead, they're not Christians, so they're trying to explain how it grows from their estimate of about 1,000 in 40 AD to between 25 to 35 million by the 4th century and to where now over 2 billion people on the planet self-identify as Christian. Now, you're going to say, those early Christians, what did they live like? What should we be living like? Here's a good time to sort of just uh, profile a game that Pastor Jonathan already put before you, and that is community groups. This week in your community groups, join one. You know, you can go on, online and, and uh, follow the right pathway there to sign up. You can see, if you're here at the Agent Court campus, you can see a connector today. But get in on that discussion. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even in 2018, when it looks so much so different than it did in previous generations. And you, we want you to help under, come to an understanding. It's okay to be different, to live for Jesus today. But get this, watch this now. Back to these two writers. They point out that the greatest growth in the number of Christians took place when? When Christians were experiencing the greatest persecution. When Christianity was illegal in the Roman Empire. Now, have you ever seen Gladiator movies like that? You know a little bit about Christians being thrown to lions, and maybe you've heard the stories about when Nero, an emperor Nero, he had the worst human right records of any, any of them, and he actually burned Christians uh, as lamp poles to provide light for his parties that he would have. He's the emperor. Nero's the emperor that killed off the apostles Peter and Paul. And so, just to see these historians and sociologists trying to explain why 
more people became followers of Jesus when it was illegal to follow Jesus, when we were a subculture. We're going to get into this more in this series as we move on because it really is going to be an encouragement to us in the Canada we live in going forward. But the followers of Jesus are different, they say. Why? Because, watch this, they were not afraid to die. How many understand? You live in the first century. If you see Jesus Christ your hero and your teacher and your rabbi die and then rise from the dead and you see him risen from the dead, how many know that'll do something to you? That'll sort of change the trajectory of your life. That'll sort of substantiate your belief system. And, and oh, did they ever go to tell people about Jesus. I think uh, they were not afraid to die because as the apostle Paul taught it, absent from the physical body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus, who rises from the dead, stands before his first followers and says, because I live, you shall live also. So you're not afraid to die. And watch this. They were not afraid to live. They were not afraid to live. Jesus had shown them how to do that. To love people, to care for people, to even love their enemies. I think the Apostle Paul sums it up best when he says, for me to live is Christ. And to is gain. Why? He says, because to live, that means I'm going to be using my, the rest of my life to reawaken the broken image of God in as many humans as possible. It will mean fruitful labor for me, he says in Philippians. And to die, I get to be with my hero and my God forever and forever. That will be gain. But that was then. This is now. That was the first century Christians those that met Jesus and first groups that started to follow him. This is, this is us. But in a few moments, you know what we're going to finish this gathering singing? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I believe you can do it again. You know, Pastor Jonathan and his wife Shelley came and spent a couple of days with Esther and I at our place up north and you know, we, we decide we're not going to talk church and talk shop, talk the whole time. Let's think. But, you know, we always end up talking about the same thing. How can we reach as many people as possible for Jesus? We're on vacation, but we just can't hold it back. It's in our hearts. How can we reach as many of all generations for Jesus during our time on the planet? Oh, God, do it again. How many in your heart you say, God, in my lifetime, I long to be a part of you doing what you did in the New Testament again in our lifetime. Amen? Oh, Jesus, do it again. That means we're saying, Jesus, I want to be the kind of different that, that you were and your first followers were. That's, that's the kind. Of, how, how's that going to happen? Well, let me give you two things before we sing that song and close in prayer. Here's the first one. If we really want to be that kind of different, be like Jesus, it will mean, first of all, respond directly to Jesus and not to someone else's experience with Jesus. Not that person at work, for sure. That, you know, anyway. I was brought up in a wonderful Christian home. My parents were the real deal. Are you still listening, Mom? <laughs> Saying good things about you now. 
I followed Jesus since I was a child, like anyone who grows up in the church. I had a lot of maturing and spiritual growing up to do. But one of the critical times was when I was a teenager in Halifax, not long after I would have got that trophy, and I was reading the New Testament, the Gospels in particular, in a language I could understand, J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament, and I fell in love with Jesus. I saw, the light came on. I said, I, I want to give my life to this Jesus. You're my hero. I saw the way he treated people. I saw the way it appealed to my idealistic teenage, you know, idea of the future. He wasn't afraid. He didn't back down from any leader politically or religiously. He just did what was right before God on behalf of people. I just love Jesus so much. It's exactly what Pastor Jonathan showed us on the screen last week. But let's look at two words that a verse he showed us last weekend. It, I, can you find the two words? If anyone is ashamed of, who's talking? Yeah, if anyone's afraid, if anyone's ashamed of me, anyone embarrassed of me and my message, not the way someone communicates it, not, you know, my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy ones. Listen, how many are with me on this? I have been embarrassed by some judgmental, killjoy Christians who push people away from Jesus. I have been ashamed of the failures of the church and history and leadership and people who have misrepresented Jesus Christ. I have been ashamed of what some people have said and done in the name of Jesus. But let me tell you loud and clear something that I have never had one moment or one reason to be ashamed of. I have never had re one reason or one moment to be ashamed of my hero, my Savior, my Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Christ. I'm with the Apostle Paul here where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid to be in that kind of different. Sign me up, Jesus. Isn't it great to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Just to know he's real and he's with you and the future. I mean, this is forever. Long after Trump has tweeted his last tweet and NAFTA's in history and Putin's, who knows, he buried. How many understand we'll still be celebrating the fact that we rule and reign forever with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus? That'll be us in the presence of God forever. This is real. This is why we have no problem planning the future with confidence and knowing who we are because we know who we live for and we know how he lives and we want to be like him. Listen, if coming to Aging Court or Claire Lee or watching us online, you say, well, I like the teachings. They, they make me feel encouraged. Listen, don't stop there. Get to know Jesus personally. Take that broken image that all of us have since the fall and bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I give you all the pieces. Do what no religion can do. Do what no one else but my Savior who came from heaven can do when he died on the cross. Put those pieces together, cleanse them, get them ready for heaven, and I will arrive there as a trophy of your grace someday. Or we're going to pray with people online and in this room in just a few moments and give you opportunity to do that. But you know what we're saying? Respond directly to Jesus and not somebody else's experience with Jesus. Right on? Secondly, be real when revealing Jesus. 
be real. Don't understand these people. They change their voice and get out the Bible. I just, just be real. You know, start with your attitude. Don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. <laughs> Lord knows it's hard enough to get Christians to act like Christians. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, you're not superior to anyone just because you've had the privilege of hearing some good news about Jesus. When you see a non-Christian acting like a non-Christian, don't judge them. Just say, Jesus, if I didn't know you, that'd be me. Secondly, let people know what you are for, not just what you are against. Right on? Let them know what you are for. Jesus' first message, he was clear. He says, I'm on mission. I, I, God so loved that he, I'm here to give myself to die for the world. Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth says, I'm here for people. If you're broken, I want to heal you. If you're oppressed, I want to see you set free. And whoever y'all, whoever you are, all, whoever y'all, yeah, I got good news for you. Good news for everyone. And they told us to represent him, to look like him when we go and try and do that. And so that third of all means, let your actions speak so loud, people want to hear what you have to say. My friend, Canadian Christian, Dr. Brian Stiller, just wrote a book, and I read this part with interest. When up to 10,000 refugees were fleeing Syria and other countries, mainly coming across the 11 kilometers over into Greece, he said, guess who was there to meet them? Let me read from his book. Who was there to greet them with dry clothes, a hot drink, food, medical help? I saw primarily Christians from Greece and elsewhere. Most migrating refugees were Muslims, but those who call themselves by Jesus' name with nothing but an open heart of welcome and well-stocked with provisions made sure they were greeted and helped along the way. He gets specific. He says, we met Eurovision. That's a Christian humanitarian ministry in Europe there. Samaritan's Purse. Child Evangelical Fellowship, Agape, Campus Crusade, Seventh-day Adventist, Caritas, Youth with a Mission, World Vision, World Relief, and many, many local church people were there. How many know that's action speaking? That's action speaking. People, when you, when you love them so practically at such a crisis time, how many know they're going to be able to, they have reason to listen to what you have to say about why? Here in our church, I asked Pastor Austin, how do we do with, you know, because one of the ways we touch our community with people who are in desperate need is community connections. And Pastor Austin tells me we have 60 volunteers, mainly from our church, but from some other churches like Chinese Baptist Church. Isn't that great that they work with us? Serving over, get this, 600 families, 25% of them are Syrian refugees. We're up to two nights a week now, feeding them and providing them with practical stuff. How many understand that's action speaking? Now that's the world, Christians, that's our church community doing this together. What about you and me? You know, Pastor Jonathan and I will always tell you stories about us witnessing to people because we want to practice what we preach. Not only that, but we love Jesus so much you couldn't stop us from talking about him if you, if you wanted to. But it starts with actions. Let, let, let me give you an example. We have... Um, a new neighbor at our uh, cottage area up in the near north of Ontario. And this uh, 
past August, you know, Esther was, we didn't even know who he was. He actually turns out to be a very young man who's an up-and-coming Canadian painter, an artist, very, very successful. You wouldn't believe what he sells some of his paintings for. I would like one of his paintings till I heard what it costs. Anyway, I, I, he's, he's a, a neighbor of ours, and we just, not knowing who he was, we just welcomed him. I've been offering him input on building and all kinds of stuff, and on the, the new area he has moved into. Esther's been providing goodies and food and, and all that. And so the other day, he was over coming to pick up something else that Esther had ready for him. And he said, I'd like to ask you some questions about building. And so I got into his little rickety, I don't even know what you call them, this little cart thing, sort of a golf cart kind of a thing. And we're heading back to his, uh, his property. And, and I said, I just, he just came out of me. I just said, I said, Ryan, I said, I have a daughter-in-law who's a jeweler. I always pray for her eyes. Lord, protect her eyes because she needs that to do the kind of fine detailed work she does in jewelry. And I said, but Ryan, I heard you with the chainsaw a few times this summer. And I've worked those things, and I've had some close calls, and I know how dangerous they can be. So, Ryan, every time I hear you on the chainsaw, do you know what I pray? I pray for your hands. Lord, protect his hands, because you need those hands to paint. And I just went on, just talk, I, I pray for you, Ryan. And you know what? He just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He didn't say anything else, just to hold him. Just thank you. He'd think about it again. Thank you. Thank you. I thought he had a stuttering problem. Anyway, just... <laughs> was it personal? Yeah. Was it embarrassing? No. You could tell that it was just doing a little something of awakening that broken image of God in his life. We're building a bridge to tell him more about why we say stuff like that and pray stuff like that. We want to tell him about our Jesus someday. How many understand? Yeah, yeah, do, 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 reveal Jesus this way. Let your actions speak so loud that people want to hear what you have to say. Right on? They want to hear what you have to say. It's okay to be different. If being different means you become known for being like Jesus, for caring for people like him, prostitutes, sinners. Why, are they, why did he hang? Because he was trying to tell us everybody. He loves everybody. It's okay to be different if, if our actions are speaking louder than what we're trying to say to people. How many understand that's what makes Christians different? It's okay to be different. If the person, if you're the person at work or school that is the most trustworthy person around, it's okay to be different if, if you're kind and you're learning to be kinder. It's okay. It's okay to be a Christian if that means being humble and saying you're sorry when you mess up. It's okay to be different if it means you see suffering and you do what brings healing. You witness injustice and then you do injustice. It's okay to be different if it means experiencing abuse and holding the wrongdoer accountable for their actions without you yourself getting bitter. It's okay to be different to get involved in politics, school boards, sciences, arts, media, business, sports, music. Just be different when you do. Light up the place because you have the presence of Jesus in you, because the image of God in you has been restored to God. Be the most credible, trusted, Christ-like human there. 
How many can say with me, if that's what it means to be different, I'm okay with being different if being different means being more and more like Jesus. How many are ready to sign up for that? <laughs> you know, even if you're at, at home, just watching online, it might help you just to affirm this. If this is true for you, say it aloud together with me. I'm okay with being different if being different means becoming more and more like Jesus. Right on. Let, let, let's pray that this would happen in our lives. First of all, how many online or right in this room at Kennedy and Finch would say, Jesus, you died for me to restore me to God as much as you did for any human. <laughs> and I have a broken image of God in me that needs to be cleansed and restored. And you died in the cross for me to do that. And I receive you today as the one who forgives my sins and gives me new life and gives me eternal life. I, I receive you. I'm going to start following you today, Jesus. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, how many would just say, Jesus, reveal yourself through me. May I become more and more like Jesus. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.